Recorded on January 12th, 2022. Episode 5, Back to School. Welcome to the Push Ahead Podcast, the podcast that's all about pushing the political conversation ahead, not pushing back. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm Shelby. And I'm Pamela. And we're here to talk about what's going on as our kids return to school. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> but but before that, let's let's address the elephant in the room. So our good buddy Matt Gates is lots of people are saying doomed. Matt Gates's ex-girlfriend testified in front of the grand jury. Everything that seasoned lawyers, prosecutors, people with experience on this type of thing say that it is a very real possibility that he's going to jail. Hell hath no fury. Mm-hmm. Good. I, I, I read from, you know, someone in the legal circles who has experience with this, rated it on a scale of one is off scot-free and 10 is definitely going to jail. Gates is currently at about an eight. Ooh. I am just hoping that this case lands because with the federal prosecutors, the longer they take on a case, the more resources they're spending on it. And that is a sign that they believe that they're going to get a, a conviction. Yeah. And, you know, that Seminole County tax appraiser is just singing yeah. so much that they're how many times, like two or three times that they've delayed his trial because he's still giving them information. Mm-hmm. I know, it's crazy. It's completely like bonkers. Yeah. I don't, you know, it's it takes a certain chutzpah to think that you can do the things these men that Greenberg we know has done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Assume the others have done the chutzpah to think that you can do that and never get caught. Oh, yeah. Like, and Greenberg wasn't even smart. Like, he wasn't even good about it. No. Uh, well, when you've spent your entire life never facing consequences for any of your actions, then why do you expect anything to change? Very true. Very true. So I am hoping that Senior Fivehead gets kicked out of Congress, you know, locked up. He, I, I just I just don't want to see him anymore. Yeah. And no more power. Yeah. You know, forget that the big gangster wars came to an end when Al Capone was arrested. And he wasn't arrested for killing people. He was arrested for tax evasion. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if we have to get Matt Gates on inappropriate behavior with a minor. Yeah. Cool. He's still out of my mind, out of our, out of our lives. And yeah. Right. I'd, out of our Congress. I would be. Out of Twitter. I would definitely be pro opening up Alcatraz just for him. Yeah. Be pretty cool to see him go to jail. Uh, that, that would, would be, be fantastic to see him run off to Club Fed for the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so Omicron, I know we've been saying for the past couple of weeks, hospitals are fine. Hospitals are fine. Uh, hospitals are no longer fine. Unfortunately, they've had to erect a tent in, you know, in, in uh, what is it? Holmes Center? Holmes Regional. Yeah. Holmes Regional. Um, so if you check in with Omicron, if you check in with with COVID, chances are you might be in for a camp out. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so easily avoided because the people that are in the hospitals, if I'm not mistaken, are still the unvaccinated. Yes. Right. So it's it's really interesting. I read that the Omicron hospital caseloads were a paradox. So the paradox was on one hand. Omicron, especially if you're vaccinated, you are going to get a a mild, clinically mild cases are cases that don't require hospitalization. You don't need to go into a hospital at all. The next step up is moderate, and that's when you do get admitted. And so you might be hooked up to an IV drip. You might get some sort of 
drugs and maybe high flow oxygen for a couple days. And moderate cases tend to be the majority. So the story is different, which is really encouraging because the majority of hospital cases because of the vaccination rates are people checking in, getting high flow oxygen for a couple of days and then walking out of the hospital, which is really what we want to see. The downside of this is this is a virus that is as transmissible, as infectious as measles, which is historically one of the fastest spreading viruses ever. So uh, chances are we're going to see a huge amount of people needing some high flow oxygen. And so that's going to overwhelm the medical systems, but it's not going to overwhelm the medical systems in the 2020 way of patients checking in for four weeks, going on high flow oxygen, going on a respirator, going on a ventilator, and then dying. Those cases are in the minority. And those tend to be unvaccinated because Corona is still Corona just because it's easier on us with the vaccines. It doesn't mean it's easier on everybody. Right. So. Yeah. And I, I get, I mean, we're all just exhausted of yeah. COVID. So tired of it being the driving conversation and mm-hmm. <laughs> so tired of it being the, how we make our decisions about everything. Um, but, and it's, and I'm honestly just tired of being more concerned about people than they are about anybody else. Yeah. But I do still mask up everywhere I go. I do too. Fully vaxxed and, ma- and boosted. Yeah, it is. It is rough. And the scary note here is that the World Health Organization says that half half of Europe is going to be COVID positive uh, in the next, I believe, two months. But in other good news, I saw a report on News and Guts today saying that preliminary studies have shown that the vaccines have saved 241,000 people. Speaking of uh, listening to medical advice. One of the highlights of my day today. Have have you seen the tweet? Uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the Fauci. Let Shelby has this one. She was Yay. so excited about yeah. it. You know, Shelby's like, she's got such a sense of humor. She loves when people do stupid things. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I do. Well, I love when Fauci, and it's been, what, this is the third or fourth time that Fauci goes to a hearing in the Senate, and he takes Senator Rand Paul to task. Yeah, although this, it was, uh, it was Marshall. Right. It was in the same meeting, but first Fauci took down Rand Paul by showing printouts of Rand Paul's fundraising website. Oh, I didn't know this. Tell me more. He's like, you are profiting off of lies. You are profiting off of selling my name. Wow. Oh, just like Florida is. Wrong thing was don't Fauci my Florida. Mm -hmm. Yes. So he brought printouts of Rand Paul's website. Wow. And took him to task. Okay, so then what happened, though? Then another, sen- another was it a representative? Yeah, Representative Marshall was, was grilling Fauci on his, his financial records, which Fauci has been making public record for the past 35, 37 years. And Marshall was like, you're, you're hiding your records, you're hiding your finances. This is a very common refrain, by the way. It is a very common tactic. So whenever... Our side says, hey, Trump, are you going to drop your tax records anytime soon? And he never did. Never, never will. Right. (laughs) When we have a valid grievance, they don't recognize it as a real truth. So what they do is they're like, "Okay, so they're obviously hammering a lie. They're hammering a mistruth. I don't believe this thing about my guy. So it's an arrow that has been fired at me that I get to pick up and fire back. So, hey, Fauci, where are your tax records? You're obviously corrupt and hiding them. And Fauci 
was rightly saying that they've been public record. All you have to do is request them and you will be provided with all of them. But what did he say that has you so tickled, Shelby? He, on a hot mic, whispered under his breath, what a moron. (laughs) And as my after this happened, as my husband said, you know what? It's actually time that we start calling people out for what they are. Everyone needs to listen to me because I am the tallest political strategist in the room and and height matters. Absolutely. Um, and he was fashionably dressed. Yes. So we need more will you shut up man moments. Yes. Yeah. We need to start firing back. We need those well, sound bites. Plus, you know, like back to the whole point to this podcast, we need to stop being ashamed of who we are and what we do. Yeah. You know, I uh, I wrote an op-ed. It was in the paper last week. And the biggest attack I got on the article was somebody said, said, but you didn't say anything the Democrats have done. I'm like, nope, nope. I'm the Democratic Party chair. Did you miss that part? Like, hello, like that is my job. When we let them shame us into being the nice people, they're not stopping. No. And that's how they've created this fake majority in Florida where the majority of voters have been Democrats forever. And yet the majority of our legislators are Republicans because we didn't notice because we were too busy being nice people. It is it is time to start calling out the simple truths. Right. And the thing is, while you and I here on this podcast might be holding ourselves to uh, journalistic standards of integrity and truth, no one else will. Right. Yep. So we get to say the things like Marshall is a moron. <laughs> Jesus <Yeah>. Christ. <laughs> like, yep. like Fauci did. Because Fauci's not a journalist. And we, like you said, we don't have to hold ourselves to those standards. And yet, we don't lie. Yeah. No. We're we're not going to lie. And we're going to call it out. (laughs) If it's raining out, we have every obligation to tell people it's raining. Yep. Yep. And who caused the rain? I I mean, although we are allowed to say things like, I did hear someone say that Rob DeSantis eats baby bacon. Bacon (laughs) made from babies every morning. I don't know who said it. But I heard it on the street. Yes. (laughs) I like that. Because he is a public figure. So moving out of our gossip section and maybe into an announcement. Well, and the great weekend. You know, this is Martin Luther King's um, holiday. I remember when there was no such thing as Martin Luther King holiday. And currently Moms for Liberty is attacking the very concept of Martin Luther King. You know, they're trying to take a lot of his writings out of our schools. While we're celebrating him this weekend, I hope that they show up at the banquet on Saturday that I'm attending. And Republicans like to quote Martin Luther King in their anti-critical race theory. Mm -hmm. That was air quotes people argument. And, you know, what they always quote is, I have a dream. And when you read the letter from a Birmingham jail and I pulled it up, uh, he was definitely, you know, they, they get to claim the things that they like and not the things that they do. For example... He says, I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny, which is just beautiful. And he, he's writing this from jail where he was right. arrested for peaceful demonstration, which, by the way, with HB1, you could be arrested for doing that now. Yes. And he just calls them to task about racism and about the fact that it absolutely exists. And the Republicans can pr- pretend to ignore that all they want, but it's just a real act. My, my favorite part of this letter is when he says, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you know, the Republicans, again, they don't want to quote that part. They want to quote the super nice, let's all stand around and sing Kumbaya. Right. Yeah. They don't want to quote the part that reminds the world that there is an oppressed people in our country. Anyway, we are honoring him. The Democrats in Brevard County are we're kicking off a food drive on Monday, Martin Luther King Day, and it's going to go through the next Democratic Executive Committee meeting, which is 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, January 26th in the county commission chambers in the Vieira government building. So you can donate your food, bring your food donations to our office, which is on the Pineda Plaza, or you can take them to Space Coast Ice Cream in Titusville because we're working with Misty Belford's campaign for school board. She owns that ice cream shop, but she's agreed to be a donation site for us as well. And we're working on one in the Southern part of the county too. Food will be collected between Monday, Martin Luther King Day, through the meeting um, at the Dems office. It's 10 to 2. And we hope that you'll all participate and support us in just serving to our community because we can't think of any better way to thank Martin Luther King. So we're starting off with a new year, and this is an election year. Every year is an election year, but this year is an election year. <laughs> this year is the election year everyone forgets about. Yes. No, no. Next year is the election year everybody forgets about. This Very year is the true. election year most people forget about. Yes, yes, yes. So midterms are coming up, and this is going to be huge because even though we're not voting for a president this go-round, we have a senator up, up for vote, we have all of our representatives, we have our state government, and is DeSantis? Yes, yes. it is DeSantis's uh, report card day. Oh, boy. So it starts with the gut. We have the governor's race, and he has filed. We have three main Democrats. We have 12 Democrats running in that race. Mm -hmm. Three major Democrats running. Um, and then we have our Marco Rubio, as you said. We have a, a we have two two strong Democrats running there. Um, one is actually going to be present at our next meeting on, on the 26th. She can come here from Ken Russell's Senate campaign. Mm -hmm. And then we've got um, Congress, because that's every two years, and state house races. And then we have municipalities all over the county. Has Posey filed? Posey filed it a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he still wants to slog it in there. Yeah. Posey has signed a non, what is term limits agreement? Yeah. He's now running for, I think his 12th term. Oh boy. Oh, maybe not quite that long. No. A lot of them though. Okay. Yeah. So it's easy to be pessimistic about the midterms because historically the perception is that generally whichever party is in the majority uh, it gets rebuked in the midterms. Yes. And that's what we keep hearing, right? Every time you you listen to anything or you read anything, keep hearing Democrats are going to lose, Democrats are going to lose, but, but what was your but? In Brevard County, it can help us because, or in Florida, period, because our incumbent, our state is run by Republicans. Yep. And it's not run well. Right. No. So people are tired of not having a voice in their government. I think yes. we just need to get Democrats to turn out. I think that's where the messaging needs to come from, that this isn't a rebuke against the federal level government that's in power. This needs to be a state level rebuke. Yeah. And let's face it, back during the initial COVID waves, we all knew people who had COVID or got it ourselves. And for the first time in months and months, I have people I know I've had to cancel stuff because people are testing positive for COVID. This latest COVID outbreak is being mishandled. Our state elected, level. At our yeah. state level by our elected officials, uh, the numbers appear to be peaking in other states, New York, Massachusetts. If you look at the wastewater numbers of, of the COVID RNA, they do COVID sampling, you know, because everybody poops. <laughs> 
and and it shows up in the sewage. So if you monitor the sewage, you can tra- spoken you, like a dad. Yeah, you can track the COVID prevalence in an area, and the the COVID poops have peaked. But not know, here. Not, not here. here. They are still they are still rising. And yep. you know our numbers are actually not being correct reported correctly. No. So nope. What we're seeing is actually not even what okay. we all. Well, thanks to you know that million tests that went expired. Mm-hmm. It expired. If you even had symptoms, it was very hard in the last few weeks to even find a test. Yes. I've heard way more cases of people looking for tests and not finding them than people testing positive. Well, yes. and DeSantis is trying to turn that on the federal government saying Biden promised every state a million. Te- well, you got them. Yeah. You wasted them. Yeah. Not Bi- our problem. Uh, I'm sorry, but Biden didn't stash those tests in a warehouse and then let them expire while he was on vacation. Yeah. Well, I think he probably Probably had COVID. COVID. That's yeah. the rumor. I, I heard that he I eats mean, baby bacon, video, but he couldn't he, taste it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the baby bacon is still up for debate. Mm-hmm. However, the video of his press conference shortly after he returned from caring for his wife, reportedly, he definitely looked like he was not doing so. I don't. You, hey, I work with people who get really deeply emotional about <laughs> silicon processing. Oh, he's the best. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh. I'm being serious here. (laughs) (laughs) I work with people who are in silicon fabrication and they get deeply emotional. As they should. uh, I can't even look at you. (laughs) But uh, you know who doesn't? Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. Yeah. He, you know, I've heard people give breathless presentation about silicon fabrication, uh, but they weren't recovering from COVID or uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. Yeah. I just really. This is way too suspicious. Yes. So, I mean. And, you know, you would think he would just come out and say, hey, I had COVID. It's no big deal. No, but he wants to be strong. And and everybody else gets to say that, too. So it's really weird because if he said, yes, I've been vaxxed. Yes, I've been boosted. But I also got COVID. That would be. You think that would be an awesome message. That that would be throwing meat to his base because he has an anti-vax message. Yeah. But at the same time. It shows that, you know, only weaklings get COVID. You don't need to get vaxxed because if you're strong enough and you have good moral fiber uh, and you are virtuous, you won't get COVID. Moderate Republicans are not thrilled with with DeSantis. They just want an excuse to not support him. And, yeah. So uh, speaking of reason to not vote for DeSantis, circling this back to our topic at hand. Ooh, that was good. <laughs> um, you've mentioned the top three gubernatorial candidates. We have... Two of them, uh, Nikki Freed and who is the other Charlie one? Charlie Crist. Charlie Crist and Annette Tadeo, who is the she is third. A me- she is a member of the state Senate. Right. Okay. So, and everyone else is just kind of doing the whole gubernatorial primary for their own personal reasons. We have somebody from Coco running for Congress. I mean, oh. for a governor's race. I just, they're not necessarily viable candidates. Right. Right. So it's, it's always interesting to see non-viable candidates but for the viable candidates what do you think that they would bring to the table that would allow those moderate republicans to hold their nose and vote against desantis great question and so my role as the party chair i have to be very political switzerland no i can't i can't i can't you know until the primary is over i don't know senator tadeo well enough to speak to that because she's fairly new as a candidate to me but i know that uh, Nikki Freed um, has been serving on the cabinet and has been locked out of her own cabinet meetings. Right. Um, I think if you just want fairness in government and openness in government, she definitely speaks to that and the right. need for that. 
has a has a track record of getting elected to public office. Um, statewide public office. Yes. Um, she also is big for legalizing of marijuana and for the tax benefits that would come from that. She's yep. fiscally pretty conservative on she she likes the idea of you okay. know using good tax money in a way that doesn't affect the average voter. Right. And Charlie Crist was a Republican governor. He was a good Republican governor. I would have voted for him. I voted for him for Senate. Yeah. And uh, I think when he was a Republican, I voted for him as a governor. And he um, he was one of the few, you know, our clemency situation is so bizarre in Florida because of our Amendment 4, blah, blah, blah. Um, he, when he was the governor, he basically signed blanket clemencies. You know, if you applied for clemency, you got clemency. Mm-hmm. And that was as a Republican governor. Yeah. Right. He was a, he's a very pro-choice governor. I'm just going to tell you, he's a very hard worker. Right. Um, I reached out to him on constitutional issues because, I mean, on um, constituent issues because, you know, Posey's not going to take my call. <laughs> and he's been able to help just average people with the situations that they've been dealing with when he doesn't have to. Right. Um, so I think those two both especially have, have definitely different strengths that a Republican could be comfortable supporting them. None of the three, to my knowledge, are far left, right? Um, you know, it, democratic socialists. It, they're, they're Florida people. So yeah. once upon a time, when I was a Republican, I considered myself to be fiscally conservative, which meant fiscally responsible, you know, low taxes, right. lean government, and socially liberal, where... You know, a small government should stay out of people's bedrooms and lives and hospital rooms and generally be there as a government and not as a nanny. And so it sounds like that two of the three main candidates, I'm not going to put you in a, in a partisan position here, but it sounds like that at least what we know, two of the three main candidates would definitely appeal to those traditional Republicans, the centrists who are maybe socially neutral, socially centrist, socially liberal, but fiscally conservative. So what kind of messaging should we see in the future and and try to amplify so that way when we see a blurb, a a talking point come along, that we can amplify it and maybe if, you know, Republicans hear enough times, hey, not voting for DeSantis, it's going to be forgivable. I think at this point, because we don't want to get preferential until the primary at this point. What I would be talking us about amplifying is just Ron DeSantis himself. Okay. I mean, I keep talking to the candidates about, because I, I can't give them necessarily advice against one another, but I can talk to them about, again, as if they're running a general campaign. Okay. And I talked to the, the Chris campaign. In fact, today, um, they have a new families team, and, and he was reaching out to about Brevard County schools. And, how, and, and they've reached out to Brevard County, which most people have written off. So I really think, at least through the primary just reminding people who Ron DeSantis is. Okay. That he is anti-small government, anti-private industry, and he really is seemingly only for one entity, and that's him. Everything Ron DeSantis does is antithetical to the actual hard traditional Republican Party values. So that's where I think we should be. Okay. Do you think that that has anything to do with the messaging that I've seen in the past couple of days where it talks about how Ron DeSantis is turning Florida into an autocracy. Yes. Well, I mean, that's actually just because it's true. Uh, it, yeah. it is. It is. <laughs> but yes, true. that's probably part of why we're talking about so it much was, as a state it, party. And that might be a little bit because I've impressed them to do that. So shifting to an opposition message during the primaries, because we are the opposition right now. 
we are in the minority in all three branches of state government. You know, even if if we weren't in an election year, I could not sit back and watch Ron DeSantis do the things that he's doing without talking about it. It's just it's easy to tell people why not to support Ron DeSantis. The Stop Woke Act is is insane. He's hypocritical. He is authoritarian. He you remember when Donald Trump said the Koreans have a president for life. I kind of like that idea. I really think Ron DeSantis wants to be whatever he is for life because he's acting more like that. It's not a concerted effort. We're not that organized, but it's because he is acting more and more like the person who wants to be the emperor for life. Okay. I guess that the messaging play is to run the primaries in opposition, pointing out that the current Republican government is Republican in name only and uh, no true Republican is currently controlling the state. But they've thrown away conservative values like fiscal values or mm-hmm. anything keeping government in local hands keeping business the free market they've thrown all of that out the window completely so uh down ballot do you think that the down ballot races would have similar messaging yes and no i think the down ballot it, it's going to depend on the race right mm-hmm. um because we as the party work really hard to recruit candidates for all levels of government and because we do believe that democrats are good governance and again because locally Republicans all the way down to to our smallest municipality are running on the Trump message, right? Right. Message. Yep. They are running on the social issues. So with that, and I think most of our candidates are totally comfortable being Democrats, and it's taken us a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. It took the Republicans being really awful that our Democrats are tired of it, and they're ready to say, no, this is who I am. The voters don't want us turning municipal races into partisan fights. They really don't. Space Coast Young Republicans are trying to make it happen. Our voters really are tired of people. They're tired of hearing about Trump. They're tired of hearing about COVID. And they're tired of hearing us hate each other for nothing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think making municipal races that partisan in conversation is the wrong way to go. Long story short, to get to your answer, I think municipalities can be talking about their municipalities and issues that affect them. People going to know about the economy, I mean, and municipalities normally don't have a lot of conversation on that, but they can be talking about CARES Act funding, which is still around somewhere. They can be talking about the way that the county is holding those funds up. And they can be talking about those issues that affect voters in a way that do support our up-ballot races mm-hmm. more than vice versa. Okay. Um, that's a long answer. So talking local issues, acknowledging that Trump isn't there, should we be rewarding the snarky Democrat? Which snarky Democrat? Like, any no. snarky Democrat. A Democrat. snarky Democrat. Any Anyone who is willing to... Anybody with a backbone? It depends. I mean, if they're if they're being truthful, I'm always like, you don't want to go for a cheap laugh if it's not truthful mm-hmm. and it doesn't actually matter. But yeah, if they're willing to take the heat. So yeah, when somebody's willing to take that heat on by, by stepping up and saying, I am a Democrat, yeah, we should be rewarding. So if a Democrat makes you laugh at the Republicans' expense in a truthful way, you should re- you should reward that. Absolutely. Like uh, my one of my personal heroes is the guy that set up the GoFundMe to find Marco Rubio's spine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like that. Yep. Yeah. So DeSantis is pushing a Stop Woke Act. Is this theater? Do we expect it to stand up to legal review, or is he just wasting time for headlines? I got to tell you, I do expect it to stand up to legal review because honestly, we're not the first state to do it. It okay. already yeah. exists in some states. It does. Mm. I'm looking at them right here in Missouri, Kentucky. Kentucky forbids public colleges and universities from subjecting students to vaguely defined racist or sexist content, and they can be sued for $100,000. 
How about the, the challenge with the woke act is very similar to Texas, which right. the Supreme Court just approved. So I think it will stand up. Um, and it would be allowing any citizen, not just a parent, to sue, which is funny because they're worried about parental rights, mm-hmm. any citizen to sue a teacher if they believe that the teacher is teaching, quote unquote, inappropriate content. And there's no definition of inappropriate content. And I'm just going to tell you right now, if this law passes, I will be looking for every teacher that supports the big lie. Yes. I will be looking for every teacher like the one in Vieira that had a Confederate flag hanging in their classroom. Mm. I will be looking for every one of those and making sure somebody is addressing that. Okay. So just as a question here, vaguely defined inappropriate. How do we expect that to stand up to First Amendment scrutiny? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and then it just was announced that two representatives from Hillsborough and Sarasota. Who may or may not dine on baby bacon in the morning. Yes. I've heard that they do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. They want teachers to be body camera Yes, that's actually in the classroom. Actually coming to the floor next week. Yes. Not just the body camera. They want cameras in classrooms, which, by the way, let's just say maybe you're in witness protection or maybe you're in an ugly divorce situation and your family's mm-hmm. um, secret from your ex. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is going to be a terrible idea. And even if you think the kids will stay out, can you imagine teaching a classroom where you cannot have your student on, on camera? Can- so you have to make make sure that you keep your kids out. of. But you have to always be on camera. There's then, therefore, any interaction with your students is out the window. Yeah. Can I use the Parental Bill of Rights, the Florida Parental Bill of Rights, to say I do not consent to my child being on camera? I think that you'll be able to. They'll actually cover that part. But but the point is that then when that happens, that means the teacher. I mean, we are waging a war on teachers. Right. A teacher will then be forced to teach from a camera angle and interact with their classroom in a way that keeps the classroom off camera. Let's tie in Moms for Liberty for this, because right now in New Hampshire, New Hampshire does have a similar law. Our favorite parental rights group declared that it would pay a CRT bounty of $500 for any tips leading to a successful suit against a school in New Hampshire. So it's going to happen here. I mean, because, you know. Yeah. Where are they? Where are they getting that money from? I don't know where they're getting the money because they only sell T-shirts for $25. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our teachers aren't making squat anyway. They get no respect from the community, no, no support to our teachers. And now we're literally waging war on them. It's insane. Hey, guys, guess how much more we can make people not want to be teachers? Yes. Well, and actually, that is the goal. Because right now, we can't staff our our classrooms. So the goal is to drive people out of the school system and to drive parents out of the school system and into privatized charter schools. Now, in Florida, we don't. In Brevard County, we do not have a for-profit charter school right now, but they would love to have them. So then they have for-profit private charter schools, which are not under any kind of review. They don't have to meet any educational standards. We're going to produce dummies into the world, um, but somebody's going to make a whole lot of money doing it. And that's really all that matters. For-profit daycare centers. Yeah. Yep. Um, the goal is to destroy our public school system and have it be rebuilt as a propaganda machine. So Stop Woke Act is going to be an attack on school districts. And school districts are under a different kind of attack. You know, our old buddy, Steve Bannon, is taking credit for attacks on school districts. Early last year, he said, hey, there's a new vengeance that's coming. Look for school districts. Look for angry moms. This is your next army. 
And that's why we have Moms for Liberty that has popped up in the months following such a declaration. But we are fighting back. So someone just filed for school board for District 5. Yes, I'm so excited. She is so awesome. Y'all know her. Did you finally convince her? Kimberly Huff is going to be running for seat five. Her opposition was just endorsed by Wayne Ivey. Um, so I think that's awesome. He endorsed Deskovich as well, and we beat her handily. Okay. Because you know what? People don't want guns in schools at that point. Kimberly Huff is smart. She is passionate. She is so well-spoken. And did I mention she's passionate and uh, so smart? And she's former military wife. She is a former. She is actually a former military and a former Republican, right? Um, she and was. she will be running. And as we, as I like to say, with school board especially, it's not nonpartisan. It's all partisan because all parties send their kids to schools, and all parties participate fully mm-hmm. in that. And she'll be running that kind of a race. I know currently her campaign is going to be run by a good friend of mine. Kimberly's just she's well supported. Families for Safe School is completely. Pivoting everything to support any messaging that she chooses. And I'm going to be talking to her tomorrow about that. Okay. Which leads into my first question. Yeah. What important topics or what decisions are she going to have to make about what she packs into her platform for this? So we should say to the listener, you have been so curious about this from the day we met. Like, how does a race start and how does it end? So I'm excited to to do this, to unwrap this with you over the next few months. For me personally, as the Democratic Party chair, and before that I was the campaign chair, When somebody comes to me and says, I'm a Democrat, I want to run for office, I always say why. And if they're running for city council, it can be, I want practice. I want, I don't, you know, because they're going to learn things. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell anybody, I cannot tell anybody not to run. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, I have often discouraged people, like, I don't think you've got much of a chance. I'm going to be totally real, whatever. But if somebody comes to me for school board, because it's such an important role, and they say, I just want to run for something. And I think it should be, I think school board is as good as anything else. I, I don't get excited about that candidate. And I'll tell you, the Republicans do. They use school board as a training ground for up races. That's, we know that that's why Tina Deskovich was on the school board. Is that, is that why Susan is retiring? Um, that's why, well, he hasn't announced that or, yet, but, but supposedly plans to resign and run for a state office. Mm-hmm. And it's always been about him moving to a state office. County Commission as well. John Tobias has gone from County Commission to State House to State Senate, now back on County Commission. I, I'll tell you, when Jennifer Jenkins came to me, she was a speech pathologist in the school system. Her husband was a high school history teacher, and she's just like, I really care about schools. And she gave me all of her reasons, and I was so excited. Now, the Republicans' opposition to Jennifer, they have made themselves a monster because she is ridiculously gifted <laughs> politically. But that was a discovery after the fact. Right. And I feel like it'll be the same thing with Kimberly. When somebody comes to me and says, I care about schools, and that's why I love this Families for Safe School group as the party chair, because the people that are in that group, care, so we met you, right? care about schools. They care, and they're smart. Um, they want, and they're not just caring about their kids in schools. They're caring about their neighbor's kids in school and the, the kids three districts away. That's what I look for in that. Now, your question was, in a platform, mm-hmm. It's going to be, we always teach candidates to think of the three things that matter to them the most. And then we teach them to come up with a three-minute elevator speech and a longer one based on that. But that's their skeleton. With Jennifer, it was, now remember, she started running 2019. Right. Her father was a law enforcement officer from Staten Island, Rikers, Rikers Island. And she thought she loves law enforcement. She respects law enforcement. But she thinks that law enforcement should be the one with guns, not teachers or school staff. So that was a major focus for her was keeping guns out of her teacher's hands. Okay. 
second for her was equity in our school system. We're not even not even in a particular order, but inequity in our school system and the fact that we have schools that have 30-year-old textbooks and we have schools that have whiteboards in their classrooms. And I'm not going to name them, but I'm just going to say that it's an issue. And if you look at the map, it tends to be related to demographics. Mm. So it was a big issue for her because she served, serviced all the schools in the county, so she saw them firsthand. And also was um, teacher morale and teacher pay, supporting our professional educators, which is what they are. You know, they have just as much student debt as the average engineer. Right. And they don't get paid nearly as much as the average engineer. No, they do not. You got to have a master's degree. Yeah. So it was those were the three things that were the most important to her. Of course, COVID started in the middle of her race. So COVID quickly drowned out the weapons in schools conversation. Mm -hmm. I don't think weapons in schools is going to come back. I think it's going to be equity in school and the war on equity in school that Ron DeSantis and Randy Fine are waging and calling it anti-critical race theory. Right. But I don't know what Kimberly's. I'm not going to speak for her. I'm going to be talking with her tomorrow about this. Okay, so it's so it's not like you have like a menu of issues that you say. Okay, it's it's a good talking point to talk about this, and it's a good talk. So there are places that, and I think the Republicans do that. They tell people what their talking points are. I don't. It's not my thing to do that. Sure. Um, I I don't like working with candidates that don't have any idea why they're running. Sure. Now I would. Now I would give them some things. But what I do tend to do is listen to where their heart is, and then I help them. Refine, refine their message okay. and make it a message that people can hear. Because if we are passionate about something, but we deliver it like this, they'd be blah, blah, blah with numbers and letters. We need to talk about how, how it affects people's lives. Right. right. Yeah. Cause the, the main, the main messaging that people should hear is how does this impact me? What do I get out of this? Right. A little bit selfish. And it's challenging in this state because we have so many retirees mm-hmm. that the message is I already took care of my kid. I don't need to worry right. about yours. So making it important to our entire community to have good schools. That was the other thing we talked about. Her, Jennifer's three issues are what I mentioned. But within that, her campaign theme was fueling the future because the reality is if we can go to great businesses and say, look on paper, because I do believe our schools are good. Mm-hmm. We can go and, and show a business that doesn't know our schools are good because they don't know our kids, but we can show them on paper. This is how much we value education. This is how we pay our teachers they're more likely to bring their businesses here because they can recruit talent themselves. Right. People that want good parks, that want good schools, that want those kinds of things will come for that. And that supports our tax base, which we desperately need to figure out ways to create our tax base, which is a whole nother conversation. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So so speaking of, of tax base and tax revenue, that's where teacher salaries come from. How much power does the school board have over teacher pay and teacher morale? So that that was a major point of Jennifer Jenkins' platform. Say we had, you know, we, you and I had a majority or were king for a day. How big of a raise realistically could we give teachers? So unfortunately, it really happens at the state level. Okay. We know that the the chair of the Appropriations Committee for K-12 Public Schools is Randy Fine. Oh, God. He's not going to come to Broward County. Nope. Um, but it and the Florida also just doesn't appropriate well for schools, period. There are no schools in Florida that are better paid than any other or not much better paid. We can lobby for that. And that's really what the school board should be doing. And that was Jennifer's comment all the time was that we should be school boards should be talking to their state legislators about the need for better funding and supporting their teachers. We should be fighting for that. OK, yes, I understand that kind of the the evil phrase is do more with less. 
how can the school board say you don't have to do more? Is there anything that the school board can do to take stuff off teachers? To improve morale without paying them. Yes. Is there anything else we can do to improve morale? We can we we can maybe stop fighting them. We can maybe stop telling them that they suck. <laughs> we can maybe stop literally suing them. We can maybe stop letting people falsely accuse them of abusing their children in their classroom. Those would be a great start. And being willing to stand up for them. I'll tell you, the union membership has probably tripled in the last year. And I love our teachers' unions. I, I'm a big supporter of labor. But if the school board did their job really well, the union wouldn't have to. Right. right. And they can also provide a planning period that they've taken away. Teachers, when I was growing up, the teacher planning day, they literally planned. They had a day to go to their classroom and be available for conferences with students. They had a day to, to help them work on their grades. They had a day to to plan the next semester. And now those teacher planning days aren't planning days. They're in-service days. Yeah. And they're required to go travel across the county to go to an in-service with a whole bunch of other people that aren't wearing masks. Right. We could certainly ask less of our teachers if that sounds wrong. But it is... It, uh, we, maybe I mean, if we follow the constitutional amendment and had our class sizes match up to the constitutional amendment that the Florida voters passed, that would help. Right. If teachers weren't... If kindergarten classrooms didn't have 25 five-year-olds, and uh, high school. And, you know, the schools get around that because they say our average class size is 20 because mm. they've got special ed. That's why they want special ed classes because they can have five students yeah. in there and that affects their balance. My son's class is seven kids. Yeah. So schools love being able to do that. It's not just the extra funding because they get extra funding from IEPs as well, but they can also say, oh, our class size it's, it's the same. It's the same thing that they made the PT Cruiser because it had a high enough gas mileage that it offset the other trucks in their lineup. So they could have huge gas guzzlers yeah. because they said our average gas mileage is this number. Exactly. The class size amendment and the fact that we don't enforce it. Right. That would be a great way to expect less. And and it would offset. So you know, we look at the budget and we look at the dollars and we think we can't spread them. But if we were to spend more money and we'd have to spend more money, we'd have to hire more teachers and more teacher instructional assistants. I believe that would pay off because we'd get better results. Right. We'd have better investments into yeah. our students. I mean, I mean, we have to remember that 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 paying teachers or doing anything funding for to our school board is an investment in our community. Right. This is the Space Coast. The industry is based off of engineers, mathematicians, and physicists. And they're not going to bring their kids to a school district that wouldn't prepare them in the way that they were prepared. And not only that, but what if their kid doesn't want to be in the space program? Right. That's all we prepare people for in Brevard County. Stand That's up. all we support. We don't support. There are no other jobs. Nobody else, no thinking jobs want to come here. Yeah. yeah there's no thinking work here, <laughs> right. no creative work here. And there won't be until we create a climate attractive enough to those kinds of businesses that values the art, right. that has green spaces that aren't just a track around a, a lake that's full of alligators you can't swim in. <laughs> right. Yeah. You mentioned the teachers union. Yes. They are a potential ally. If you get the teachers union endorsement, it's more than just stamping of approval that you can put on your flyers. They will help out by getting word out, by bringing resources and volunteers. What other groups could our new candidate tap into? The union also, if they endorse you, they normally come with a check. Okay. Um, Ooh, and, nice. And so let's talk about fundraising for campaigns because that's something people don't think about and what a candidate's responsibility is. I always tell people, like, candidate, when it comes to our county, we're going to do the groundwork. We're going to knock the doors. We're going to drive the Democratic voters. We're not going to, the Democratic executive committee is not going to talk to Republicans. So if you want to talk to Republicans, that's on you. Right. But those dollars do help make that happen because we, with Jennifer's campaign, again, we trusted the Dems. We knocked the doors of the Dems. We did mailers to Republican voters, Republican women especially, mm -hmm. 
because then we knew that our message would resonate with moms of kids in school. Okay. So the teachers union is great. It comes with endorsement power and they work like they do postcards. They work, create phone banks. They get the job done. They get the word out. And they're the only union really with any teeth in Brevard County. Right. The democratic caucuses. There is our most active caucus here is the LGBTQ caucus. Hmm. Um, it's a state caucus and we have a, a division here in Brevard County. They're super active, super involved in their committee. Their president is married to a city councilman in West Melbourne. Just a really active caucus. So if caucus endorses you, same kind of thing. They're going to do work for you. That particular caucus is really aware of what's happening in the community. And they're going to donate money. Right. So there's all the caucuses and clubs. And there's Run for Something. There's a lot of national organizations that their endorsement comes with money more than anything else. Right. BLM was actually an organization that did endorse Jennifer as well as Matt Susan in hmm. 2020. Interesting. And it's funny because Moms for Liberty is trying to use that as a tool against Jennifer Jenkins, and they keep forgetting that they also endorsed Matt Susan. Right. Hey, everybody, tell your friends. <laughs> BLM loves Matt Susan. Yes, oh, please do. No, they know better now, but they did endorse him. <laughs> right. Um, church communities, there, there are a number of organizations that you can look to for support. Families for Safe Schools will be if they're a 501c sure yes so there are a whole bunch of different not-for-profit tax classifications where they can collect and disperse money and based on including what, us yes and and based on what you are and what you're classified as under the tax code you can use your money as political speech and meanwhile regular people i always i i tell candidates those things are great but nothing's better than just going to the people. Right. Especially in Brevard County, because there's going to be other organizations that come to our candidates and say, we would like for you to apply for our endorsement. We'd like to have you come speak to our members. And we never get their endorsement. It's the Space Coast Board of Realtors. They've never endorsed a Democrat ever, I don't oh. think. Or Business Voice Daily. Like, it just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. It's just a great way to get out there. Right. If you think that's important, Chambers of Commerce as well. Right. So they're, And they'll reach out to our candidates. Our candidates don't have to look for those opportunities. Those organizations will reach out to candidates. Okay. Yeah, I so, remember the Melbourne Chamber of Commerce in, inviting Janet Reno to speak. And yeah. I got in there because my stepfather owned a business it and is, he got me in. So you don't have to answer this on the air. I'll answer it on you. You can take it out if you don't like it. Yeah. Okay. So if you were to say to a candidate, go out and raise this amount of money and you have the best chance of winning school board, how much would that be? That's a really hard answer. So it really, what we really would prefer candidates do is create a budget of activity they want and then fund that. Right. How many mailers are you going to want? How many door hangers? Now, we support door hangers, but if they're going to want something that doesn't have Brevard Democrats on it, if they want to be doing Republican outreach, mm -hmm. rather than just raising a bunch of money, you can throw. Having said that, I think a school board race, what tends to happen is there are organizations that think that they know more about the county than anybody else. And they're watching the fundraising numbers. Mm -hmm. Lobbyists watch fundraising numbers. And when they see those numbers increase, they start sending people to that candidate, which gives more support. But until they see those numbers, until they see that that candidate is taking their job seriously and raising funds, they don't send people. So that's raising money is a way to show you're viable and it makes you more viable. It's one of those catch-22s. Right. We do teach candidates how to fundraise. After we teach them how to budget, we teach them how to fundraise. And it starts with just dialing for dollars, calling your best friend, your Aunt Susie, and saying, hey, I'm running for school board in Brevard County. I know you live in Topeka. Will you support me? Mm -hmm. $5 goes a long way, y'all. And those little donations matter a ton. Recurring donations, whatever. 
but then Jennifer also received a lot because she was really smart with social media. Okay. Um, and she wasn't intending it to be fundraising. She was just trying to get her message out. And one week when she posted a particular video, she raised $6,000 that week. Nice. Nice. We had people max out donations to us. Um, what what is that max limit? I think for a personal donor, it's $1,000. Okay. I could be wrong. So verify that before you. Well, because when I looked at the campaign finances in 2016, Matt Susan only claimed that he raised $8,000. And a school board race could probably be one with $8,000. Okay. I mean, we ended up at the end of that. We're like, we have to spend this money. Right. Um, she actually ended up donating a ton because what you can do if you haven't spent it all is you can either keep it for another campaign, which is what why Matt created a race in 2020, or you can donate it. And, uh, and it doesn't need to take a lot of money. Texting is one thing, though. If you're going to do any texting, that has a cost of about two and a half cents a text. Um, software programs, if you're going to be doing that. The hardest thing with comes to money is creating a team, right? Because right. Because Rebecca doesn't have a lot of support, actually, on either side. Right. So I always tell candidates, find somebody that you trust with your life, who is super anal retentive, who will find the rules and follow them. That's your treasure. Okay. okay. That's the number one thing. You have to have a treasure if you're going to raise any money. But really, a good school board race could be run with less than $10,000. Okay. Yeah. And there are how many students in Brevard? I I was looking and it's upwards of a hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. It's the largest employer in the in the county. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Hundred thousand sounds about right. So yes. less than a dime per student. Yeah, I like the way you think of that. Yeah, like congressional race needs to be about if somebody's going to run for Congress, they need to plan to raise about quarter million. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, state house races could be run with less. If you're running in state house fifty three, you need to plan to raise a shit ton of money because he's going to throw enough money at it. He's going to keep throwing money at it until you're just. Exhausted, right. but school board could be done with six. With okay, so just just getting that out there that you don't really have to break the bank to afford raising. Having said that, running for office, the candidate's job is to raise money and knock doors. That is it. <laughs> None of this other stuff. Not I, honestly, even social media. Social media, you need to find somebody that can do it. And if you're going to make post yourself as a candidate, you make them before nine in the morning or after nine at night when you can't be doing the other two things that are your job. Raise money and knock doors. If you're running for a race other than school board, I know we're talking about school board now, but state house race or congressional race, you want to set a certain number of hours a day to just be fundraising. Okay. So how do you get somebody who is not comfortable, at least with knocking doors and or calling people? And they want to run for office? Yes. Um, I remind them why they want to run for office. Mm, so. So that's one of the first conversations I have with somebody is, why are you running? Right. And, and my job is to remember why they're running. And if they tell me, it's totally natural that it would not be the most natural, comfortable thing for you to do today to go not on knock on doors. I can't reprogram you overnight. Right. But I know we will do what we, what we, makes us uncomfortable if there's value in it. Right. So when I remind a candidate of why they want to run, then they can sometimes overcome that discomfort. And honestly, my favorite things about what I do has been knocking on doors. And I never thought I wanted to. But the conversations I've had with people at the doors are the best. But you have to get to that point. Right. And again, it's just knowing your why. Yeah. It's a challenge for me because I genuinely care about the people that are running for office. I'm so grateful that they're running for office in Brevard County as a Democrat is no joke. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to ever manipulate somebody. Right. So I can remind them of why they told me they're going to run. But I'm very careful to say they don't owe me a thing. But reminding people of why they wanted to do this. I mean, because it's kind of like teaching itself. You don't do that for the money. No, you don't. School board makes a teacher's salary. Yeah. 
And if you're in the education system, you have to quit your job. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. How can we help? If you are listening to this and you're thinking, gee, I want to help in the upcoming race. So we currently have a special election as well. Mm -hmm. um, and the nice thing is that the special elections in Palm Bay for city council because uh, we moved and that's in March 6th. So if you live in Palm Bay, plan to vote, get your mail ballot. It overlaps with that school board race. The school board district five is all, is part of Palm Bay. Palm Bay is partly there and partly in district three. And it also overlaps with state house 53. So those are a bunch of races we already have candidates in. Supporting any of them, you're going to be supporting all of them, which is kind of great. You can donate to your candidates. You can work to get over the discomfort and help us meet voters at the doors where the conversation can be had. And I promise you, if you're knocking those doors with us, with the DEC, if you're a Democrat listening to this, if you're a Republican listening to this, I don't know why. <laughs> if you're a Democrat listening to this, we only talk to Democrats and friendly NPAs. And we will support you and prepare you and send you with somebody if you'd like. Until, and if you don't like it, then you never have to do it again. So that's one thing. Um, and just really encouragement in every step, because there's a lot of discouragement out there. And, you know, courage, the root word of courage is heart. And if you take away somebody's heart, then you take away their passion and why they want to do what they're doing. So encouraging our candidates is one of the most important things you can do. All right. Very good. On the way out, just as a reminder, we have that upcoming MLK food drive. We have the March election. Anything else that you'd like to... MLK Food Drive will be going for 10 days, and we are currently canvassing knocking doors for Fillmore in Palm Bay. Mm -hmm. Go to brevarddems.org, look under our calendar, and find out where a canvas or phone bank is near you. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, if you want to reach out to us, we do have an email address. Yay! We've had it since November. It fell behind the couch. <laughs> I found it with a whole bunch of like cat toys. I love you guys so much. It is pushaheadpod at gmail.com. So email us with your comments. And uh -huh. if they're mean, we're not going to read them. Uh, no, Unless we'll, they're funny. No, I'll read them in a, I'll read them in a silly voice. <laughs> hey, hey, guys, I think you're dum-dums. <laughs> <laughs> guys, if you're listening to this, email us because Jamie and Shelby don't think you will. So email and prove me wrong. <laughs> yep. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. If you got something out of this and know of anybody who cares about what we're saying here, please share. Word of mouth is everything in the grassroots game. If we're awesome, tell a friend. If we're not, tell us how to get better. This has been another episode of the Push Ahead podcast. Please reach out to us via Twitter at push underscore ahead or subscribe to our podcast in your podcatcher of choice. You can find relevant links to the stories that we're talking about in our liner notes on our website at pushaheadpod.com. The music is Super String Theory by Lobo Loco. 